We're going to read today from our Bibles in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 20. And we're going to read verses 17 right through to verse 28. I did mention last Lord's Day that today was Mother's Day. Speaking to a particular lady through the week and I was asked, well, you'll be preaching on Mother's Day. I will. I'll be preaching a Mother's Day sermon. Then another lady that I met through the week and asked me the same thing. Uh, will you be preaching on a Mother's Day sermon? So I felt, well, we do that. We've done it for years. Why break the habit of a long life? Uh, so we're going to be thinking about uh, mothers and Mother's Day this morning as well as tonight. So to that end, we're dispensing with our studies in Colossians, and we're just thinking of this uh, theme today of mothers. Matthew chapter 20, verse 17. Let's read the Word of God together, reading, of course, from the authorized version, being mindful that this is the infallible and errant Word of God. And Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples apart in the way and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be betrayed unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him, and the third day he shall rise again. Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshipping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? She saith unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit the one at thy right hand and the other on thy left in thy kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, Ye know not what ye shall ask. Are ye able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of, and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They say unto him, We are able. And he saith unto them, Ye shall indeed drink of the cup, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit in my right hand, and on my left, is not mine to give but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my father. And when the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. But Jesus called them unto him and said, Ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you, but whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give us life a ransom for many. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious and infallible word. Now my text this morning is taken from Matthew chapter 20 and the verse 20 and verse 21 and it reads as follows. 
Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshipping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? She saith unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit, the one in thy right hand and the other on the left in thy kingdom. And my theme today is entitled, The Portrait of a Godly Mother. Now this day, the second Sunday in March, is known throughout the English-speaking world and beyond as Mother's Day or, or Mothering Sunday. And this particular Sunday, every year, we thank God for our mothers. Young people, I want you to, in the quietness of your thoughts, thank God for your mother. We remember their life of dedicated service, their unconditional love, their unflinching loyalty to their families. And in this particular day, we choose an appropriate card, a nice wee poem inside. We buy some flowers, we buy some chocolates, we prepare a meal. And maybe there's a personal visit, a phone call, an email, or a text. Just to let them know that we're thinking about them, to let them know that we care. Someone has said that a father is the head of the home, but the mother is the heart. And it's important that we honor our mothers, that we recognize the important role that mothers play in every home. Now, as I already told you, the word mother is mentioned in the Bible 299 times. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that wonderful? The first reference, Genesis 2.24, is to do with the subject of marriage, which God instituted, which God officiated at. It wasn't the church that invented marriage. It was God's idea, God's plan. And this is what he said at the marriage of Adam and Eve. For this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave to his wife. In Genesis 3 and 20, Eve was called the mother of all living. See, Eve could say to us, I am mother. And the last reference to the word mother in the Bible is Revelation 17 and 5, speaking of the great whore mentioned in the book of Revelation. This is what it says. Upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, an abomination of the earth. Of course, that's a reference to the false religion of Roman Catholicism. Now, in between these first and last references, you've got 297 references to many women in the Bible who are addressed as or called as mothers. And some of them are wonderful, godly mothers, women who are Christ-like. Women who are loving and kind and gracious and thoughtful, not in any way harsh or critical. Women who give counsel and, and give wisdom to their children, especially in the name of the Lord. Others, sadly, we can only describe them as some of the wicked mothers who ever lived whose lifestyle choices, whose, whose sinful choices, ungodly choices have led and caused their households to follow her in the path of wickedness and sin. Now, out of these 299 references, I want us to speak today on what I've entitled the portrait of a godly mother. You see, Matthew introduces us to one such godly mother. Look at our text, Matthew 20, verse 20. Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons. 
Now we're going to try and think this morning and we're going to try and learn what she does. How that she lived out her life, the impact it had upon her and her children. You see, I believe that the um, mother of Zebedee's children, who's actually named Salome, I believe that this woman is a role model for motherhood. And as you listen on today, or as you're watching, let's press home the question in a challenging way, young girls, what kind of mother and woman do you want to be? What kind of mother or woman do you aspire to be? You see, it was the great Abraham Lincoln, the 16th president of the United States of America, said this, no man is poor who has a godly praying mother. And out of those 299 references, there are many examples of godly praying mothers in the Bible. And here's one of them. And she's called in the Bible the mother of Zebedee's children. And this woman is named Zalome. And this woman is, as I'm saying, a portrait of a godly mother, a role for motherhood. I want us to think about three things this morning in relation to Salome. I want you to think, first of all, that Salome is a true follower of Christ. Now, if you look very carefully at the Bible, in two occasions, Salome is referred to in the Scriptures as the mother of Zebedee's children. Here's the first reference, Matthew chapter 20, verse 20. Now, that's interesting. In Matthew chapter 27, and if you look with me at the verse 56, and I would encourage you to mark the reference, Matthew 27 and verse 56, and this is what it says, among which was Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of James and Joses, and the mother of Zebedee's children. So twice in the Bible she's referred to as the mother of Zebedee's children. And if we compare Scripture with Scripture, we're going to learn that this mother was a true follower of Christ. She was a decided follower of Christ. I love that little chorus, I have decided to follow Jesus. It's a children's chorus. It's one of my favorites. Now let me ask, can you say that today? You see, there was a time in Salome's life when she recognized that she was a sinner, repented of that sin, received Jesus Christ as Lord and Master, and decided to follow him. It's obvious, of course, that she didn't decide of her own initiative. She had to be born again of the Spirit. Her will was renewed. Her understanding was enlightened. Her affections toward Christ were aroused uh, to, to run after him, to follow him. You see, if you asked this morning, when it says the mother of Zebedee's children, who was she? She's identified in the Bible because there's one reference to her name. And if you look very carefully as we compare Scripture with Scripture, turn over there to Mark and Mark chapter 15, look with me at the verse 40. This is women who were nearby the cross. It says, there were also women looking on afar off, among whom was 
Mary Magdalene, there's one. And Mary, the mother of James the Less, and of Joses, there's the second woman. And Salome. Now, if you compare that with Matthew chapter 27, verse 56, you will see that she's not called in Matthew 27, 56, Zalome. She's called the mother of Zebedee's children. So in this way, we can identify who this woman was. We wouldn't have known who this woman was without that reference. But here she is, and she's nearby the cross of Christ. She's standing afar off. That meant that she had to be in Jerusalem. Where did the crucifixion take place? It took place in Jerusalem, outside the city gates. And if you look at our text here, verse 17, Matthew chapter 20, verse 17, and Jesus going up to Jerusalem took the twelve disciples apart in the way and said unto them, and this is what he said, Verse 18, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be betrayed unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him, and the third day he shall rise again. Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons. Now I want you to think about that. The word then means at that time came this mother of Zebedee's children with her sons. Now, now, do you see that? That's Salome. Salome's in Jerusalem. It's the last week of Christ's earthly life. And she's there with Christ and her sons, James and John. James and John are two of the Lord's disciples. They're also with Christ. Their mother is there too. Now, remember these sons, according to Matthew chapter 24, were in their boats in the Sea of Galilee working for their father. They were fishermen. So you've got to think of northern Galilee now. You've got to think of the Sea of Galilee, the shore there. And these two boys heard the call of Jesus Christ, follow me. And immediately they left their nets, their, their fishing business, to follow Christ. You see, James and John were grown men. And now why do we find them? We find them in Jerusalem with Christ along with their mother. They're all with Christ together. You see, this is a close family. It's interesting that the word Salome means peaceable. It's the root of the word shalom, which means peace in the Hebrew. It's the same meaning, be safe, be certain, be joyful. It's the feminine form of Solomon. And what do we learn about her? She's one of the women who followed the Lord Jesus from Galilee to Jerusalem. How do I know that? Well, look at the scripture, Matthew chapter 27, and it says there in verse 55, and many women were there beholding afar off, which followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering unto him, among which was Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of Zebedee's children. Now, do you see that? Salome was a saved woman who had a testimony to the saving and keeping power of Christ. And I believe that this woman heard the call of Jesus Christ at the same time as her children. 
James and John, in their adult life, were called to be followers of Christ. Was Salome called first and then the two boys? Or was the two boys called to be followers of Jesus Christ? And just as they began to follow Christ from Galilee to Jerusalem, so did their mother. You see, it's a wonderful picture. These three together in this family made a conscious, active decision to follow Christ. We we have many today who claim to be followers of Christ. But but it's not just a claim of trying to be good and uh, trying to do the best that you can and say, I'm following in Jesus' footsteps and I'm endeavoring to keep the law of God and I want to live out the Sermon on the Mount. No, at the heart of being a true follower of Christ is being a decided follower. It's making a choice and a decision by the grace and help of God to embrace Christ as Lord and as Redeemer. Let me tell you something else. This woman was not only a decided follower, this woman was a distinct follower. This woman, this mother, gave up all to live for and to follow him. And what does that involve? What does it include? It includes a spiritual death to self in the world. Think of the little chorus, young people. I have decided to follow Jesus. The cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back. What does that mean? It means we're no longer living to please self. We're no longer doing what we want. We're now living to do the will of our Lord and Savior. We're living to please him. We're living to do his will. Now, Salome was one who gave up herself to a life of loving service to the Lord. She was a distinct follower of Christ. I think Philippians chapter 1 and verse 21 is a good model for this woman's life, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. That's plainly seen in the life of Salome. If you were to take a map, Galilee to Jerusalem, direct route, it's 110 miles. But they didn't go the direct route. They zigzagged up and down the length and breadth of the country. Every little town, every little village, every little hamlet. And wherever he went, she went. She was following him along with her two sons. In other words, she followed on. And when she reached Jerusalem, the final week, the final few days of his life, she's still there because she's standing afar off at the cross when he's being crucified. In other words, she's sold out to the Lord. She has a deep love for him. There's one watchword on her lips. Christ for me. Now can you say that? For me to live as Christ to die as again. She, she died to self. She's not only saved from sin's power, penalty and pleasure. But she's saved from a life of selfish living. And she's saved unto a selfless life of dedicated service to Christ. And as you looked upon her, it was true. It was real. It was genuine. She was a distinct follower of Christ. Let me tell you something else. She was a dedicated follower of Christ. Remember the Lord Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up the cross and follow me. You see, In a life of self-denial is a very close identification with the cross work of Christ. See, many profess today to be decided followers of Christ. They claim to be living a life of self-denial. But while they name the name of Christ and claim to be followers of him, 
They're not really interested in a life of self-denial. They're not interested in taking up the cross. They're not interested in a life of total and full surrender to the Lord. A life that's going to bring shame and, and suffering and hardship and ridicule and threats and hatred and opposition. But that's the life of the Christian. You remember the Lord Jesus said, In the world ye shall have what? Tribulation. Timothy was told by Peter, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Why? Because there's an identification with the cross work of Christ. The cross is a cross of shame. It's a cross of submission. It's a cross of surrender. It's a cross of, of suffering. And like Salome, she could identify with Cabot. He wholly followed the Lord. It was not only decided and distinct, but it was dedicated surrender. There was nothing glamorous about this. She was not seeking celebrity status. She was not out to make a name or money for herself. Remember there was a man came to the Lord Jesus one day and he said, I'll follow you wherever you go. That's great, wonderful, brilliant, tremendous. But hear this. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. The foxes have, the birds of the air, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. In other words, there's a price to be paid for following me. And Salome decided on that day when she heard the call to follow Christ. And it became distinct so that people could know it. This woman, it is Christ for me. And this woman is dedicated because here's a life of denial, an identification with the cross. But I want you to notice something else. It was, she was a dutiful follower of Christ. If you go back there to Matthew chapter 27 and look with me at the verse 56, what do we read there in Matthew 27 and verse 56? There's a couple of unimportant words that I want you to underline, that I want you to think about. And it's these words. Sorry, it's in verse 55. And many women were there beholding afar off, which followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering unto him. Do you see that? And Salome was one of the women. She did what she could. And if we compare Scripture with Scripture, and you turn over there to the Gospel of Luke, in Luke chapter 8, in the verse um, 3, Luke chapter 8 and verse 3, it says... And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others which ministered unto him of their substance. Now, this is the Lord Jesus going through these towns and villages and hamlets. People have been healed of evil spirits. People have been healed of their infirmities. Mary Magdalene was one of whom that he dealt with and touched and ministered unto and cast out seven devils. And we're told that there was women with him on the journey and they ministered unto him of their substance. So you've got to think of the twelve with him, many women with him, and one of them was Salome. See, the Lord healed many of evil spirits, healed many from their infirmities, and the Lord had done something for them. But Salome knew that the Lord had also done something for her. She had heard and known the call of God in her life, the touch of his hand upon her. And Salome did not waste her time. She rose up along with others to minister unto him. She felt 
and understood that she owed a great debt to her Lord. She felt that she could do not enough for Christ. She, she, she probably felt every day, I wish I could do more. I wish I had given more. She was like the woman mentioned in the Bible. She had done what she could. Isn't that beautiful? Here's a woman doing this out of love. She's a dutiful follower. One day this service commenced. Here it's continuing on this long journey from Galilee to Jerusalem. She ministered unto him. She's a dutiful follower. Could I tell you something else before we move on? She was a delightful follower of Christ. She didn't turn back. She didn't turn away from fulfilling her role. She was doing her duty. She was doing it unto Christ. Now, now think of this. This woman's a wife and a mother. Her husband's at home running a business. Two adult sons with her. Possibly she had daughters. She has already experienced a life of sacrifice and dedication running a home. She's a dutiful wife and mother. There's cooking, cleaning, um, meal preparation, running errands, um, probably de-stressing her husband at times, offering wise counsel to her sons and to her children. This woman was steadfast. And what she did in her home life applied to her life of service unto the Lord. This woman sacrificed those comforts of home, sacrificed family life, all to follow Christ. It mentions in Luke 8 verse 3, of her substance. Isn't that lovely? How did she do that? Well, she may have washed the feet of Christ. She may have mended clothes, prepared meals. But she did it for him. And she attended to him every day. She put the Lord at the center. She loved and adored him all the way. Every step. She held nothing back. Now here's a question this morning. Do we really love him? Is our love seen? Are we willing to give him not only ourselves but, but our substance as we minister to him? It was John Wesley that said the last part of a man to be converted is his wallet. And that comes down to tithes and offerings. And we praise you often for your voluntary and sacrificial giving to the Lord's treasury. Sadly, many have laid up treasures on earth. They're looking after themselves where moth and rust just destroy and thieves break in to steal. But what about treasure in heaven? Where none of these things can touch. Here's Salome. Face to face with Christ every day. She's seen him. She heard him. She loves him. And I believe no wonder she sacrificed so much. She felt delighted. Her, her heart was in it. The Lord loves a cheerful giver. C.T. Studd said of Jesus Christ be God and died for me. Then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make from him. Here's a woman who's a decided follower of Christ. Can you say that? I've decided to follow Jesus. She's distinct because it's seen. She's dedicated. It's a life of denial, taking up the cross. She's dutiful. She ministers to him. And she does it in a delightful way because she gives of her substance. Salome was a true follower of Christ. Very quickly, Salome is a true worshipper of Christ. If you go back to Matthew chapter 20 and verse 20, it says, Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshipping him. Do you see that? 
This woman was determined to worship him. And she's worshipping him with her sons. Do, do you see that? These sons have been assisting the father in the fishing business. And here they are now, years later, appearing and assembling with their mother to do what? To worship him. Young adult men. We live in a day when it's, it's not cool to be seen with your mother. Certainly not in the shops. But certainly not in the house of God or, or in the open air if there's a Christian witness going on. But notice what it says. Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshipping him. I want you to see that. Here's what James and John were doing. They had such a love and respect and an honor for their mother that this family decided that they were going to worship together. At least the mother and the two sons. The father and the rest were probably in um, Galilee. And that's a lovely thing. And that's what we need. Young people with love and respect and honor for their mother and father who have brought them into this world, who are doing the best that they can for them, to make it a conscious decision, a determined choice. I'm going to worship God with my mother and father. I'll not be ashamed. Who says it's not cool? I don't care whether it's cool or not. I'm making a decision to do it. You see, isn't this the opposite of Proverbs 19, verse 26? I've looked up many of these references to do with mothers. And this is what the Bible says out of those 299. It says in Proverbs 19, verse 26, He that wasteth his father and chases away his mother is a son that causes shame and bringeth reproach. Chases away the mother. The mother comes and says, Would you come with me to church? No. Well, you're really chasing away your mother. You're bringing shame and reproach. But these young men were not like that. They were not out to break their mother's heart. They wanted to bless their mother's heart. These young men were not out to cause her to cry. These young men were showing their mother that they cared for her by standing with her to worship God, to worship Christ. These young men were not out to cause her pain. These men were showing how proud they are of her by worshipping Christ with her together. See, the emphasis is on worship, worshipping him, but they did it together. That's the point. Do you see that? That's the emphasis. And that's what we want. We want young people, young adult men, young adult women, out of love for Christ, making this determinate choice. I'll worship Christ with my mother and father. My family, because family's important. I want you to see very quickly, just bear with me for a few. Think of her devotion to worship. Not only her, her that she was determined to worship, her devotion to worship. You see, she was devoted to the Savior. I believe this was a lifestyle choice, worshiping him. You see, whenever you come to the house of God, the Lord's day comes round, you should be thinking of him, the Lord Jesus Christ. You should be meditating upon him in your mind. 
I believe that we should be worshipping him in our hearts and minds every day. And that, of course, includes family devotions, private times when we get alone with God, when we're reading the word of God, when we're singing spiritual songs, when, when we're sharing things about him that he has shown us out of the scriptures. This woman was with him every day. She's seen him face to face. She heard him speak. She ministered to him as we've seen of her substance. And she's devoted to do what? She's devoted to worship him. You see, that's a lifestyle choice. You've heard the thought, familiarity breeds contempt. And it does. And people who are familiar with coming to the house of God on the Sabbath, it can become a, a contemptuous thing in their mind to do. But this woman didn't get used to it. It didn't breed contempt in her heart. She had no contempt for him. She was devoted to walk with him every step of the way from Galilee to Jerusalem. She waited on him. She worked for him because she was devoted to worshiping him. Is that not a great example? In her act of praise, in her life of prayer, in the preaching of the word, as we draw near, we remember that there is such a thing as true worshipers. And it starts with a determinate mindset. And it will be seen in our devotion. And it will center in him. The scripture says God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And over there in Psalm 45, the uh, psalmist made a, a tremendous statement in the verse 11. Whenever he said this, listen to the word of God. So shall the king greatly desire thy beauty. For he is thy Lord. And worship thy him. Do you recognize that he is your Lord? He's your master. And your responsibility and duty. But ought to be your delight. Is to worship him. Are you devoted to him? I want you to see something else. Think of her desire in worship. You see if you go back there to our text. Notice what it says. And desiring a certain thing of him. Is not tremendous. You see, we learn here that Christ is approachable. He is ready and willing to listen to Zalome. She can have an audience with him. She requests something from him. There was a request for something that came from her lips. It was a literal request from her. And the request was that her two sons would sit on either side of Christ. When he would come in in his kingdom. Now some people have criticized Salome. And they've condemned her for this action. I have to say this morning I'm not so sure. I believe and I say this of course I'm open to correction. That it was a sign of her love and devotion to her two sons. We've already thought about this woman as a, a mother. And this mother was a ready and willing individual to ask Christ. Now, if we compare Scripture with Scripture, we discover in Mark 10, verses 35 and 44, that the request first came from the lips of her two sons. And she simply was speaking to the Lord, I believe, on their behalf. Maybe not fully conscious or understood the implications of request. It's interesting, the Lord Jesus didn't blame Salome. 
He didn't castigate her. He, he didn't fault her. He didn't uh, scold her. He, he simply gave her a lesson on true humility. Why did she make this request? Here, here's the answer. I believe that this woman did it as a mother. And this mother was doing all that she could for her two sons. You could just hear the conversation. Mother, we have asked Christ for a certain thing and, and we haven't got an answer. What is it? Tell me. And then, mother, will you ask him on our behalf? And the sons were there close by the mother. And, 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 and you can understand that. The Lord Jesus didn't turn her away, didn't scold her, as I've said, because he's always approachable. He's always willing to listen. He asked her, what wilt thou? What can I do for you? How can I help? That's her desire in worship. What do you desire when you come to worship? Let me close this morning. Salome is not only a true follower of Christ and a true worshiper of Christ, but she's a true supplicator of Christ. You see, if we think of these words um, and desiring a certain thing of him, and then think of his answer, what wilt thou? She saith unto him, grant. And then, but Jesus answered and said, you know not what ye shall ask. And then he asked the two boys some questions and they respond. You see, this, this, is, this is a woman of prayer. Here's another aspect to Salome's life. We, we, we see her, her approaching Christ. We, we see her asking Christ. She, she, she asked Christ a certain thing because there's a desire in her heart. Why go to Christ? Because only Christ can help her. Well, only Christ can grant this to her. And in her asking, she's focusing on a certain thing. Do you see that? There's a burden in her heart, a chief concern in her heart, and it involved her two boys. It was a definite, specific thing, and she makes this request unto him. That's her approach. That's her asking. Why? I want you to think of her ambition. She wants the very best for her two sons. And what mother doesn't want the best for her two sons? Or, or any of her children? Educationally, physically, but spiritually. I've already said, what mothers don't want the best for her children? I believe John and James suggested this. They wanted to sit on the throne of the kingdom of heaven. Mother thinks, well, that's great, sons. That's lovely. I would love to see them there. You see, she wanted what was best for them. And do you want what's best for your children? What's your biggest decision in life, young people, going to be? Well, your best decision has to be centered on, on spiritual things. The greatest decision you'll ever make is the decision to follow Christ and to live for him and be loyal to him. The second biggest decision you're going to make is who you're going to marry. Because that will have an impact in your life before the Lord. And the, the, another big decision is what you're going to do with your life. What career you're going to get involved in. But at the center of that career, bring the Lord in. And make him the center of it. So you're living unto him and you're serving him in that role. Whether you're a doctor or a nurse or a factory worker or a farm neighbor. It doesn't matter. At the heart of that is a spiritual decision that you're going to live for Christ. See, this mother wanted the best for her children. And we want the best for our children. Why? Because we're living in an ungodly world, an evil world. And, and the next 10 years, which is a long time for many, I'm well aware. But there's going to be many more changes in this world if Jesus doesn't come. The, the, the depravity of the human heart is going to manifest itself more and more. 
And here's a woman who wants what's best for her children in a spiritual sense. She's ambitious for her children. And I would say to you mothers, be ambitious for your children, but primarily in a spiritual sense, decide and desire what is best for them. I want you to notice that Naomi discovered that she was actually asking amiss. Her request was denied. The Savior said, you know not what you ask. He goes on to challenge her and says, can, can your boys drink the cup of suffering that I'm, I'm going to drink? Can they be baptized with the baptism of suffering that I'm going to be baptized with? And they say, yes, they can. And they did. Because James, according to Acts 12 and 5, he, he was beheaded by Herod. He lost his life. This was one of this woman's sons. And the other, the youngest boy, was John. And he was exiled to Patmos because of persecution for the word of God and his testimony to Christ. And then Jesus told her, I can't grant your request. Why? Because it's not within my power. The Father will decide who will sit at my right hand and left hand in my kingdom. She was really asking amiss. You see, in our prayers... And it's right to approach Christ because he is approachable. It's right to ask him because he's the only one who can help. It's right to be ambitious and, and to have the best desire for our children. But remember, we can ask amiss. Why? Because sometimes we can ask outside the will of God. And remember what the Bible tells us there in 1 John chapter 5. Listen to these words. We're almost finished. 1 John chapter 5. Listen to these words. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that we hear us whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desire of him. Here's the key to the answer. He can say yes. He can say no. He can say wait. But the key to the answer to every prayer is subject to the will of God. So we've got to understand what the will of God is in our asking, in our approach, and in our ambition so that we don't ask amiss and consume it on fleshly desires. Salome's a true supplicator of Christ. And where did Salome end up? Not far from the cross. She was present at the cross. She saw what happened to Christ. And she was given the job of presenting Christ in the day of resurrection. For she proclaimed him, he is not here. He is risen. And it all ties in to this, that she was a true follower of Christ. That she was a true worshipper of Christ. And she was a true supplicator of Christ. Here's a portrait of a godly woman. A role for motherhood. And I recommend it to you. I pray the Lord will bless you. Thank you for listening.